Welcome and thank you for tuning into the season premiere of season five of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. Wow, I mean, this is like crazy. Almost a year ago to this date, August 8th of last year, is when I started this podcast. Talking about and researching true crime, like especially in my home state of Maryland, uh, in particular the city of Baltimore, where I grew up, um, with homicide being just like a part of life, honestly straight like that. I mean, I don't know why I've always had like um, a fascination, an obsession, or you know, just a curiosity basically with getting into the mind of killers. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea why, but um, that's always been an interest of mine um, for various reasons. I don't know why, but I've always been curious about uh, you know murderers and killers and why they do what they do, what possesses them to do what they do. I mean, it's a, I know it's a, it's a topic not for the faint of heart, I agree, but I do know that I'm not alone in my fascination. That I do know. I, I know I'm not the only chick in this world who loves true crime and the goriness of it and the, you know, just basically being curious about it and stuff like that. I know I'm not the only one and particularly in the state of Maryland. So where we live, where I live, basically, uh, where I grew up in Baltimore, um, we do have some crimes. We, we do have some homicides specifically that are just as heinous, just as top-notch, just as bizarre as the crimes that you, that may get a whole bunch of, a lot of other attention that you may hear about in states like, you know, California, New York, or Chi-Town or whatever. I mean, trust me, we there too. And guess what? For, fan, for those fans of true crime like me, where you're you're fascinated by the goriness, how gory it is, how you're how ridiculous or how bizarre it is, the better. Um, for those fans of true crime like me, this podcast is for you. And if you're not attracted to that, or if you're not fascinated by that, or not a fan of that, real easy. This podcast is not for you. Now, with that being said. With seasons one through four, I was just playing with y'all. I was just giving y'all the easy, breezy, high-profile murders that occur, you know, in Maryland where mostly everybody already knew about. Like, mostly, you, you already knew about the, the, the Hughley murder. You already knew about um, particular murders with cops and stuff like that. Y'all knew about... Um, you know, season one through four, they dealt with, like, the brutal child killings. We dealt with murderers who were kids or teenagers themselves. Then we moved on to some basic, like, relationship, boyfriend-girlfriend type murders. And last season, the focus was on how-powered murder-suicide murder cases. And now, for season five, since we going there, I mean, since this is, we are, like, halfway point, <laughs> like, season five now and this is a year mark right now the focus will be on sick sadistic twisted sex related rapist pedophile related types of murders that occurred in Maryland I'm talking about the most sickest and gruesome 
the most sex-related twisted homicides that occurred in the state of Maryland that just blew your mind. And we have so many that, honestly, though, these 10 episodes that I'm going to be profiling once a week or whatever, that's just part one of the sick and twisted sexual sex-type pedophile-related murders that we have. So with that being said, and getting all that out the way, welcome again. And thank you for tuning into the season premiere of season five of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most bizarre, the most high-profile homicide cases in Maryland are discussed, they are profiled, and they are examined. This season, season five, sick, twisted, sex-related, or pedophile-related types of homicides, they are the focus. Now, on this episode, the pedophile murderer Elmer Spencer is profiled, and as in each episode, an unsolved homicide that needs all the special attention that it deserves, that will also be profiled, and on this episode is no different. So, tonight, the unsolved stabbing homicide of Tamika Mobley will be discussed. Now, when you think of sickos, pedophiles, or grown-ass men who are attracted to little girls or little boys, men who are sick, admittedly sick, who turn homicidal, it's hard not to think of the sick and cruddy crimes of Elmer Spencer Jr. With an IQ below 70, Elmer started his sick and demented career way back in 1974 when he was arrested and charged with trying to strangle a boy in Howard County with a ball and twine. Elmer was found not guilty by reason of insanity and he was able to basically just walk free from that. That act alone should have set off red flags in any judge's mind, but for some reason, it didn't. Three years later, in 1977, Elmer was charged and convicted of battery in Carroll County and sentenced to five years in prison. He got paroled in 1980 after serving only two and a half years. A year later, Elmer was arrested and charged with raping a young boy in Carroll County. Elmer also received an official diagnosis of severe mental illness, including pedophilia and paranoid schizophrenia. And he was locked up until he was released in 1994 after serving 14 years in prison. Elmer wasn't out of prison a full year when in May of 1995, he was arrested in Baltimore County and charged with assault with intent to murder after an eight-year-old boy reported to police that Elmer forced him to take off all his clothes. After the boy stripped naked, Elmer threw him off the Patapsco River off of Frederick Road near the Howard County line. The police even found Elmer and arrested him while he was still carrying the boy's clothes. How in God's name was Elmer not sentenced for this one? It's like mind-boggling. But prosecutors, they later dropped all charges in this case at his preliminary hearing. They dropped all the charges telling the judge that the criminal case file had been destroyed when in actuality, the case was probably dismissed 
because the kid or the parents of the kid basically didn't want him to come forward to relive the nightmare that he went through. Not even a year later, in February of 1996, Frederick County Police charged Elmer with a third-degree sex offense and assault after he confessed to sexually abusing a seven-year-old girl. These charges were also later dropped by the prosecutor because the charges were not pursued. Three months later, in May of that same year, Elmer pled guilty to a reduced charge of assault after his first big boy sentence and got 25 years in prison with all but 10 years suspended. And this was because he got caught trying to rape a woman in Frederick. Throughout his prison stint, Elmer received no real sex offender treatment or counseling because basically, guess what? There is no real sex offender treatment or counseling for pedophiles or sex offenders. The only treatment that shrinks really try to do is suppress the urges that rapists and pedophiles have, which sex offenders will tell you. They'll tell you that the urges never truly go away, even if you are castrated. So on November the 14th, 2000, after earning good time and work credits, Elmer's sentence was automatically reduced and he served only about 10% of his sentence, which was roughly three and a half years on a 10-year sentence. Elmer was released from Maryland's Correctional Training Center in Hagerstown and he was put on supervised probation for three years. The next day, Elmer showed up for his first meeting with his parole officer where he was ordered to undergo routine drug and alcohol testing. They'd ordered him to register for sex offender counseling, which is basically some bullshit treatment. And basically, they ordered you basically to cross your fingers and hope for the best. I mean, what else can you do legally for sex offenders who have served their time? Like Elmer. He had served all of his time. Elmer got himself a job as a dishwasher in Mount Airy and tried to blend in with normal people. But let's not forget, dude was sick. How many times did he have to tell y'all this? Nine-year-old Christopher Lee Osherman Jr. was a normal, typical nine-year-old boy. A fourth grader at South Frederick Elementary School, Christopher lived with his mother and two brothers in the Carver Public Housing Apartments in Frederick. Christopher loved football and he spent his days playing in his neighborhood. Chris also loved trading Pokemon cards. On the afternoon of November 19, 2000, Christopher headed outside saying that he was going outside to play football with a friend. Christopher was last seen around 5.30 p.m. just when it started getting dark. When Christopher hadn't come home by 8 p.m., his mother started worrying. By 9 p.m., when there was no sign of Christopher, she hopped in her 1990 Black Dodge Dynasty and started driving around in the neighborhood looking for him, bringing Christopher's 10-year-old brother for the ride. When she couldn't find him, worry turned to panic, and panic turned to fear, and she called the Frederick County Police Department to report him missing. That's when she learned from her neighbors that around 5.45 p.m., 
just 15 minutes after she last saw her son, a few neighbors had seen Christopher walking with a man who had basically just pretty much been sitting in a chair and just watching, just watching the kids play in the neighborhood. Christopher lived only 150 steps from where this man sat just watching him. Right before Christopher's mother had reported her son missing, police got a weird call from a man around 9:10 p.m. who was calling from a Greyhound bus station. A Greyhound bus station in Frederick, and the man on the phone told police that he had just seen a young boy getting beat up by a man at a park in Frederick County. Just 10 minutes later, Christopher's mother called the police to report her son missing. She told the police that she thought that Christopher had went to a friend's house. Frederick County Police, they did come to Christopher's neighborhood and did a small search for him with the help of the Maryland State Police, but unfortunately, they didn't find any signs of Christopher. I thought he was just playing in the yard. He wouldn't just go with anybody, Christopher's mother said in a press conference. She said she told her son not to go too far, but 12 hours after Christopher was reported missing, early the next morning, a maintenance worker found Christopher's beaten and bruised and naked body in a third place dugout at McCurdy Field on Jefferson Street in Frederick. A medical examiner later determined that the nine-year-old had been beaten in the head with a blunt object. He had also been raped and strangled. The state's attorney later released a statement to the press that read, We had evidence at the time of the crime of a sexual offense charge, but we wanted to wait until the medical examiner report came back. Found less than half a mile from where he lived, Frederick County Police quickly canvassed the area armed with Christopher's picture and they didn't have to look too far to determine that several witnesses told them that Christopher was seen in this, with the same strange man. After a thorough investigation, which included the police viewing the surveillance cameras in several of the convenience stores that were in the area, they came across a nearby 7-Eleven store where the tapes where the owner allowed them access to the surveillance cameras. On one of the tapes, around 6 p.m., literally just 30 minutes after his mother last seen him, Christopher is seen on camera with Elmer. And Elmer is wearing a stocking cap, a tan jacket, and the tape clearly shows Christopher pointing to a pack of Pokemon cards and Elmer buying the cards. And when Christopher's body was found, in his jacket pocket was a pack of Pokemon cards. Elmer was quickly found the next day, which was Monday, arrested at a homeless shelter in Frederick. And this time he was charged with first degree murder and held without bail. I mean, the prosecutors were sick of Elmer and they wanted to kill him this time. They wanted to pursue the death penalty. But because Elmer was basically considered mentally retarded or mentally challenged, I should say, they couldn't because in the state of Maryland, the Maryland law states that you can't pursue the death penalty against a defendant who is mentally challenged. And even they, the prosecution, they agreed that dude was off his rocker. So they agreed to a sentence of life 
without the possibility for parole, plus an additional 20 years. I don't know why they decided to get this in front of a jury, and even after a trial that lasted three weeks, but on February 20th, 2002, a jury deliberated, deliberated for less than two hours before finding Elmer guilty of first-degree murder and sexual assault. Did y'all really think Elmer, Elmer cared? I mean, prison in some aspects was better than a homeless shelter any day, especially with free food and free healthcare. That animal had already spent more than half of his adult life in and out of prison for sexually abusing and or beating on kids. He should never have been out of prison, let alone into society, in the first place. Christopher's murder, it deserved some form of justice. Somebody need to pay. Besides, you know, because to me, if you really think about it, it sounds like negligence on somebody's part because Christopher's murder, it could have been avoided if this monster was just basically kept locked up away from little kids at the very least. I mean, he wasn't out of prison a freaking week before he's out raping kids. Really, y'all? I mean, come on now. So, basically, eventually, Christopher's parents, they felt like probably I would have, and they sued the state, asking for $70 million and $70 million in damages because they basically said that the state was negligent because at the very least, they should have made Elma take mandatory, regulated, inpatient sex offender treatment. I mean, can you blame them? This monster savagely killed their baby, their nine-year-old innocent child who was described as a practical joker who loved Dan Marino. He loved the wrestling star The Rock. He loved video games. He loved fishing at Baker Park. And he won all of his foot races in the neighborhood. They also said in their lawsuit that all that good behavior, time credit shit that he earned in prison, that shouldn't have applied to him and all that should have been done away with and he should have basically served his full 20-year original sentence in the first place. On Basically, he was a sick, untreatable, dangerous, pervert monster that should have been locked the fuck up. I mean, Elmer probably would have even preferred it. He probably didn't even want to be released into society. Christopher's parents eventually received the maximum amount that the state of Maryland was going to kick out anyway in any wrongful death, which was $200,000. They also planned to get at least another $775,000 more from the State Board of Public Works or the General Assembly. Because of the way Christopher died, just the brutal nature of this baby's homicide combined with Maryland's laws that just kept releasing a diagnosed pedophile to the public on the streets something had to be done I mean new laws had to be made and old laws had to be changed so nothing like this could ever happen again so to prevent that from ever happening again a Frederick lawmaker created a bill basically a law that made sentences for pedophiles or repeat offender pedophiles I should say this law was created for them to get real sentences of life without the possibility for parole, cutting out all this five, 10 year, 20 year bullshit. I mean, just because you don't physically murder a child, a person especially, I mean a child especially by abusing them, statistics show that at some point 
dealing with child sexual abuse is like a slow death. I mean, you kill a person's soul, you kill their spirit, you kill them emotionally. The governor at the time, who was Governor Glenn Denning, he did not hesitate to make it a law in Maryland where a repeat sex offender or pedophile can now receive a maximum mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility for parole, whether or not you actually take a person's life, quote-unquote, physically or not. On Wednesday, February 25th, 2009, Elmer was found dead in his cell at the Western Correctional Center in Cumberland. It was later determined that he died from natural causes at the age of 53. Now, let me tell you something. The reason why this was this this homicide was notorious in the state of Maryland was I mean people that have been here for a while I don't know if they remember this case I mean I do I just kept thinking why do y'all keep letting him out why do y'all keep letting him out he just sit there and told y'all he was sick he sat there and told y'all he was a pedophile why do y'all keep letting him out who cares about what sentence he got um he needs to be locked away somewhere um there's no cure, no known cure for pedophilia. Why was he out? I mean, yeah, out of suit too. Um, he flat out told the judge. He he told repeatedly. He told witnesses. He told everybody knew that he was a pedophile. Everybody knew that he was sick. It wasn't like he was just going to wake up one day and just not be a pedophile. I mean, I just couldn't understand why he just kept on being released. Um, it's amazing how quick he acted to not even be released a week later and already you're killing young kids. Come on now. Somebody would have to pay for that. The state of Maryland would have to pay for that. I would, I, I would sue too. I mean, there's no amount of money that could bring my child back, but this, his Christopher's death could have been avoided. I mean, I, I was just, my mind was boggled when I heard about this case. Um, I, I just, just, I honestly think that people that are convicted of child sexual abuse, whether you murder kids or not, I mean, you should be living somewhere else, to be honest with you. I mean, especially if you know you have a problem, if you have, and that's something that, you know, if, if psychiatrists can't treat that from what I hear, that they can't be treated. And, um, you know, the only thing they can do is suppress your urges Come on now. I mean, shouldn't you live somewhere where a bunch of other sex offenders live at? Where y'all can just live together? And I'm not saying that's in a prison environment or whatever. But shouldn't you be with of your kind instead of being around us that are not like that? It's only fair. I mean, I'm curious. I'm just curious. For all my pedophiles out there that are listening, how do you think you should be treated? I mean, if you really don't want to offend and sexually abuse a child or rape a woman, how do you feel like you should be treated? Do you feel like you should be around other uh, people that, are, that don't have those, these pedophilic urges? I, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, at one, I, I remember in the state of Maryland, before this case happened, you could rape a woman. You could be accused of sexual uh, abuse or something like that. And you could always you you can get a, a little bullshit sentence. It wasn't always a life sentence for rape. There wasn't always like a maximum sentence of, of life without parole if you sexually assault a woman. But because of this case and because they kept letting this dude out, there is now. I mean, he obviously didn't want to be on the street. 
he I wonder I'm curious about what made him sick like that what made him the way he was but he obviously did not want to be you know released from prison anyway I mean I just don't understand why they just kept letting him out now moving right along now this episode's unsolved homicide before I do that let me just mention that, like in each season before, there will always be an unsolved homicide that needs attention that will be discussed and profiled. Believe it or not, every person that gets killed in Baltimore, or in general, in Maryland, I should say, these cases don't always make the news. You know, they don't always make Murder, Inc. They don't always make online news. Somebody can get popped off one day in Baltimore and nobody never hear nothing about it. It's like a person, they can get shot or whatever, they can get killed, stabbed or whatever, and that's it. It's so many murders in, in the state of Maryland that they don't have time to sit here and track every single one. It's like they were here one minute, they was gone the next, and the victim's families, they expected to just pick up, move on with their lives like nothing ever happened. Well, guess what? Guess what? On this podcast... We give attention to not only notable high-profile homicide cases in Maryland, but a focus, a special focus, is also on unsolved homicides in Maryland that may or may not have received a lot of attention or any attention at all. The attention will be given on this particular podcast. I mean, so with that being said, this episode's unsolved homicide is the stabbing and beating murder of... 34-year-old Tamika Mobley. Now, Medfield is like a small little port, small little, basically a small little part in the city of North Baltimore that's close to the more known area of Hampton, which is sort of like close to the bottom part of Roland Park a little bit. That area over there in that part of the city is bordered by Cold Spring Lane to the north, you got Jones Falls Expressway to the west. You got Falls Road to the east. And to the west, you have 41st Street. To the, I mean, to the south. To the south, you got 41st Street. Now, it's normally quiet over there, honestly. To be honest, by that way, although I would not necessarily call it crime-free, that the main, the main landmark over there in that area are the schools. Like, Polly is over there and Weston High School. Medfield is also about a mile like away from Loyola University and about two miles away from John Hopkins, the Homewood campus. Now, on Tuesday, March the 10th, 2015, just below, just before 10.30 p.m., the peacefulness of this quiet neighborhood was disturbed when a woman was found dead in the 4400 block of La Plata Avenue. Baltimore City Police responded to the area to investigate a report of a noise disturbance and they found 34-year-old Tamika Mobley unconscious with obvious trauma to her body. Tamika was rushed to a local hospital and pronounced dead. According to published reports, Tamika loved cooking. She loved planning events like birthday parties for her sister. And she also loved swimming and visiting amusement parks. After she was killed, the detectives did go door-to-door -door asking the residents of the Roland Ridge apartment complex if they heard or saw anything suspicious or out of the ordinary, but nobody heard or saw anything. 
this is a homicide that should have been solved by now, people. I mean, come on. It's like, the police can't be everywhere. And they can't do, they can't solve these murders themselves. So, if you know, if you know of any information or clues or anything that can lead to an arrest in this particular crime, please call Homicide Detectives at 410-396-2100. You can also call them at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can also send them a text message at 443-902-4824. Once again, you can call Cold Case Detectives. That number is 410-396-2100. You can also call them at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can also send them a text message at 443-902-4824. Guess what? You can email them at homicide tips. That's tips with an S at baltimorepolice.org. You can remain anonymous, people. You don't have to give out your name. You can just say what you got to say and hang up. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, high-profile episodes. Also, for paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, the raw, the unedited truth of how and why I do what I do, why I started a true crime podcast in the first place. A lot of people think I just woke up one day and decided to just start writing about and talking about killers and crimes and blood and gore and whatnot. But guess what? That's not even hardly the truth. There is a full-blown method to all of this madness. And this was definitely no overnight success, no overnight gimmick. Also, um, be sure to pay a visit to the new website, www. MDS Most Notorious Murders.com. Basically, that's Maryland's Most Notorious Murders.com, but Maryland is spelled MDS Most Notorious Murders.com to get immediate access to all of the episodes that have been released to date. All of them. Check out the website also for links to all of the books that are related to this podcast entitled Maryland's Most Notorious Murders 1990 to 2008. Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1. Also, we have Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore, which I recommend every woman needs to read that book because, literally, it was considered contraband in prisons, but, oh well. As Well, you can also check out my local bestsellers, Junkie, A True Baltimore Story, and Child of Baltimore. Be sure to tune in next week, where another high-profile Another bizarre homicide occurring in Maryland will be examined, it will be discussed, and it will be profiled on Maryland's most notorious murders. This has been a Savage Life production. <laughs>